Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Glenn Stallsmith. Glenn is a pastor who serves two United Methodist churches in rural North Carolina. He's also a Ph.D. student at Duke Divinity School. For 12 years, he lived in the Philippines, working as an ethnomusicologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He's also the reviews editor of Global Forum on Arts and Christian Faith. I give you Glenn Stalsman. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Big friend of the show. I, you know, we've gotten to know each other actually through your tweet about Synaxis, which I greatly appreciated many months ago. And now we're back and we've got fascinating readings. The first reading is from Song of Songs. I will venture to say this is the reading that most of our preachers are not preaching on. Do you, are you think that's fair to say? I would assume so. I, I wouldn't so- touch it. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 we got the we've this is this famous dialogue between two lovers i guess we have the we've, we've got the female voice here right the voice of my beloved look he comes leaping upon the mountains bounding over the hills my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag is that is, does your wife often say that like, <laughs> never nope uh, yeah. not in 20 plus years Man, of marriage. Man, this is no. kind of creepy look there he stands behind our wall gazing at the windows looking <laughs> to the left i mean like not a good not a good image for a me too moment yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's not. A, it's a little bit of a peeping time. Pretty stalkerish. Kind of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little prurient this <laughs> time. But it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. This is. I think I heard this, but where did I hear this? For a historian once. So if this is wrong, our listeners can correct it. But I, you know, that this is a historian I heard once say. A church historian said this was the most commented book, commented upon book by the Puritans. No kidding. Again, that sounds like it could be wrong, but... They must have been doing alleg- uh, allegorical work with it. Yeah, I would guess yep. that, that, you know, it's 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 generally... Which is, this is generally what the church has done with this text, right? Yeah. It, it's often an analogy between Christ and the church, exactly. right? And so, you... And, and, you know, there is something to this if, if you think about... First of all, the scriptures seem to... The New Testament... Well, both testaments, right? There, there are both testaments make comparisons between uh, the relationship between God and the people of God as one of a, a lover, you know, the beloved, you know, the, the bride. In fact, both in fidelity and infidelity, right? There, there's a, a, a whole book, a book, a book in a series that IVP did, Contours of Biblical Theology, and the title is just Whoredom, where, uh. the, where the metaphor for the church is the unfaithful spouse. So both faithful and unfaithful, you know, there there are pictures of healthy and unhealthy relationships with this metaphor in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, we have generally a favorable image of, of, of the church as the bride of Christ awaiting, you know, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Sure. And I would, I would think if you're going to preach from this, you'd want to tie in some other scriptures um, and go with the unfaithfulness theme. I hadn't thought about that, but of course you've got the prophet Hosea, which could set you up if you wanted to go that direction. There's also the first couple of chapters of Genesis where you have Adam and Eve 
uh, meeting and fulfilling the covenant that God uh, had designed them for, which arguably the Song of Solomon um, text is a is a very detailed description of. So you could could possibly go back uh, go back to Adam and Eve to to give uh, prototypes of your beloved and your beloved. Yeah. Yeah, and there is something too, right, to the fact that this text sort of celebrates romantic love, right? And that is part of the church. The church is not, although the church has struggled with this at, at times, right? Like sort of, it, 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 there's always these Gnostic, otherworldly kind of impulses in the church, right. which, which are afraid of these sorts of things. And they're, they're, this, which leads to a kind of dualism and generally not healthy perspectives on the body or sexuality, but that that's, you know, but at, at the heart of the faith, you know, we have a resurrection of the body and, and it's a, you know, it's the, our hope is not nirvana, right. Mm-hmm. Or to be swept away into an ether realm with disembodied eternal souls. But, you know, the, we wait for the resurrection of the body, the, you know, the resurrection of our bodies, you know, the, all of creation, Paul says in Romans eight, waits for that moment where we're adopted, you know, the glorification uh, and redemption of our bodies so that creation gets swept into that too. I like that. Yeah. You could just preach on, on bodies are good. Love is good. Marital love is good. Maybe that, yeah, maybe that's your preaching angle for this. Now, I'll tell you, one of your own churchmen wrote, uh, it also, it's interesting too, the Song of Songs for a canonical book, right? It's one of the canonical books that does not mention God at all. Right. And there's a couple of them, right? Esther. Uh, Esther, right? Are that's there a great Jeopardy? Are there question. others? Uh, I guess you just I, Song of Songs. You, and Esther you and I should I know that. Yeah. Those are the was that, was that not on your. Exam from the Presbyterian Church for ordination. It probably was. <laughs> it's interesting because Will Willimon, your 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 church churchman, yes. bishop in the Episcopal Church, no, United Methodist wrote, Church, yeah, or United. Yeah. I'm sorry, United Methodist Church, right? United Methodist Church, and just a great preacher and thinker. Mm-hmm. He says in in his commentary on this for in the Erdman's lectionary commentary. He says, we are reminded that we in this world are God's loving, lovable creatures. Just as there's room in the canon for such a sensu- sensuous book of useless poetry. So there must be room in Christian theology and the life of the church for all the blessings of God, including the physical romantic love of a woman and a man. The feelings with which we are sometimes blessed in the spring of the year and the spring of life are not to be despised. There is certainly enough confusion abroad concerning the gift of romantic love for there to be at least one occasion when the church is consi- considers the subject from a godly perspective. Why should Hollywood always have the first and last say mm. on love? Oh, I like that. And then he sa- later later he says, you know, uh, if you accept the invitation of these two young lovers, relax, revel, lighten up, and praise God for blossoms and leaping stags and silly young fools and all the rest, how much the poorer we would have been without this frivolous book of the Bible, how much the poorer lives would be without these gifts of God. I feel duly chastened. Look at you by your own churchman. I, I like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Paul Zoll has also talked a lot about the how romantic love often is a window into the love of God. That's often when somebody has really loved us deeply uh, and that we connect, That that's a window into the love of God. Yeah, certainly. And, and also a reason why lots of young people go to youth group. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is this is why you go to Lockins, right. you know, for the for the purpose of you know, absolutely. Yeah, but there is, I mean, we are wired, you know, for to be creatures that desire, and it, and you know, it's it's and it's in learning how to deal with that desire, right, that we learn 
about deeper loves. You know, there's that great word in the tradition, concupiscence, right? Wrongly mm-hmm. concupiscence, wrongly ordered love or desire. Mm-hmm. And so through learning to love, we learn, you know, how our desires function and how they can lead us into the ultimately the desire for the greatest. And if you go just a which is yeah, God. if you go just a bit beyond past the the verses prescribed for the lectionary and go to the end of the chapter, which I would recommend if you're gonna if you're gonna do. Uh, if you're going to do this on Sunday, might as well go all the way to verse 17. And in verse 16, you re- you see, my beloved is mine and I am his. I think just those those two phrases right there are worth a sermon in, in itself. Um, and you have resonances with uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, uh, golden rule is tied up in that. So, I, yeah, there's a lot to mine here. Yeah, and that is ultimately right. This is the this is the story of the scriptures. It's a God longing to be with His people in a redeemed place, mm-hmm. you know, and you know th- that we are, you know, with our beloved who who is God. So on to what Luther called the Epistle of Straw. Yes. If, right? if I didn't, the if I didn't think of James, if I don't think that the Song of Songs should be in the canon. Luther certainly didn't think that James should have been. Are there any books you don't think should be other than Song of Songs? I mean, you're thinking now, but you've been chasing those. So yeah, I have to backtrack on that. No, I don't have any others. They're all good. You're you're, you're very worth it. I like that. So yeah, here we have we have James talking about this is a uh, chapter one verses 17 through 27 telling us that every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above comes down from the father of lights great phrase father of lights I love this that. is a i love that designation this sunday is a great opportunity to sing the hymn great is thy faithfulness because you have that great line there is no shadow of turning with thee which is yes. james 117 no variation or shadow due to change and then he yeah and then after talking about God giving us, you know, giving us birth by the word of truth so that we can become the first fruits of his creatures. Then we hear these exhortations to be quick to listen, slow to anger, to rid ourselves of sordidness and ranked wickedness, and to be doers of the word, Mm -hmm. uh, not just hearers of it, right? Back to that dualism you were talking about earlier. You you can't just, we can't just be uh, bodiless thinkers who just contemplate and and seek some kind of um, disembodied nirvana. It's it's got to be done. We Christians don't don't have the option to to take one or the other. We, if Christ is Lord, He's Lord over bodies and minds, um, both at the same time. So we don't we don't get to say stuff or think stuff. We have to. It has to has to permeate all of what we are. Yeah, absolutely. So here, this is sort of you know, it, it seems like there's a couple things that happen to us, right? If if that you know here in the opening of the book of James, at first it seems like we're humbled by the word, right? That 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 it gives birth to us. So there's this implicit here is that we didn't make ourselves Christians, yes, right? That 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 we're that we're the word and the spirit give birth to us. So just like we don't give birth to ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, we're nobody is self-made, right? Either biologically or even it's interesting, you know. Barack Obama, when he was running against Mitt Romney, they kind of cut up his speech 
when he pointed back to a bridge and, and a road and said, look, even if you're a business owner and successful, uh, you didn't make that. Like you didn't. Right. And, and they cut it up like you making it seem like he said you didn't make your business. No, he was saying that, you know, you didn't. There's a lot of things, government infrastructure and laws and and other sort of benefits in society that help you make it right. So nobody is really self-made. Not that people don't work hard and have gifts, but we're all we all are owe a debt for things we are and and this seems to be the case here in James that we're we're created by words It's a very un-American message Scott you're not you're going not going to make America great again preaching this thing that we rely on other people <laughs> Yeah you need 2 Corinthians liberty <laughs> Well, there's the spirit. There is liberty. I think Donald Trump thought that was like a fight song. Like, like it was just, uh, you know, like, all right. I think it's talking about Jerry's school. <laughs> and then, so it, in addition to being humbled, it, you know, we get like the sense that we'll be, we'll be shaped by the word, right? right? That, that, you know, you know that, that we will not just be hearers of it, but actually our lives will be shaped mm-hmm. by the word and especially in our relationship with the vulnerable right that 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 people who are struggling it's interesting too i think the degree to which you've really struggled that you've been you've suffered uh, you know really you're attuned to suffers i mean i i forget what i i heard somebody who is a biographer of fdr once saying that one of the differences in him and hoover was you know who they were both very affluent came from affluent and they were both men of means but hoover hoover was more sort of a self-made man and that shaped kind of his policies and fdr was somebody who even though he came from affluence and privilege being struck down right Mm -hmm. with you know with with physical ailments being in a wheelchair he it seemed to make him more sensitive to people who were victims of circumstance right and motivated him and, and and made him more attuned to suffering, even though he was from a position of privilege, because he was aware of his own suffering and limitations. And there's something about maybe being humbled by the word and, and being a recipient of healing and grace that makes you, I, I guess, sort of open and attuned to those who and, need it. And being attuned to those who need it also humbles you. It, there's that beautiful circularity. Um, you know, I was taking a class uh, with Stanley Hauerwas this past year. And uh, we were dis- discussing a pretty dense text. And one of the students said, I-, I know what I want to say, but I just can't get it out. And Stanley said, how do you know that? In other words, if you can't say it, then do you, do you really know it? And I think we've all had that experience where we're writing something, whether it's an email or a paper for school. And in the process of writing, we actually find that we say something profound that we didn't really know was in there that would have never come out if we hadn't been going through the actions of doing it, of, of the writing or of the speaking. And, and I think that's where the beauty of this book comes from is that we do good things because of God's grace. It doesn't start with us, but as we're doing things, we become more graceful and it just, it's, it's a breathing in and out that keeps going through the Christian life. Um, our, our worship is a response, but as we respond, we also bring in and it, it gives more space for us to be remade. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely the case. And you know, and 
in addition to being kind of humbled and shaped by the word, it, there seems like there's a liberating factor to uh, to God's revelation here, where he says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and forgets mm-hmm. what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And it's interesting because what's the end of the law? Love, right? right? The love of God. And, and, and this is the sort of, you know, the Luther and the freedom of a Christian, right? The free, the 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 Christian liberated by the love of God is is Lord of all, right? Because we're no longer looking to other things, you know, in self justification projects, but we're justified and redeemed by the love of God, and that makes us free to be the servant of all, right? So there's there's this sort of freedom in in perfect love. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's good. Oh, mercy, mercy. Let's move on to the gospel. Speaking of perfect love, Jesus, love embodied. Here we have Mark chapter 7 and verses 1 through 8, 14 through 15, 21 through 23. Here we've got the Pharisees picking a they have a bone to pick with the disciples of Jesus because they are not observing the proper cleanliness rituals right. and, and, and things like that, right? They're, they're eating with defiled hands without washing them. And they ask, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus quotes Isaiah on them. You know, you're like these people that iron me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. From me. And then he says that there's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Mm-hmm. For what for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intention comes. And fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, and uh, other terrible things. So here you have Jesus. It seems like going beyond what you find previous in the tradition, because you can find texts that say if you keep the rituals but if you don't if you if you're not loving people right if you're if you're forsaking the poor if you're then really the rituals you're not clean but you don't really hear people saying the rituals in themselves don't seem to have that much power because what defiles you is internal yeah that like you said the eighth century prophets were uh pretty good at, at reminding people that without the without an accompanying love and justice that the rituals are are, are void but um, yeah this does seem to be a turn for something new um, and it it makes me anxious as I read this that we've probably read some supersessionism into this over the last 2,000 years um, resulting in some anti-semitism too these these kind of passages are tough to preach because we can just get into some ruts as a church um, and talk about just how all the, all the old Testament just can be discarded or um, that the, 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 the empty ritual in the law was, was pointless for salvation. And, and I always feel like whenever I, I come up against a text like this, I have to spend a good portion of the sermon ex- explaining that that's not really the heart of what Jesus is getting at. Yeah. N.T. Wright has this great example. He says that, you know, the, the, back in the days when we, the space shuttle was the, the thing, I guess we're not into that anymore, but we, you know, we, we remember it would get shot off into orbit and then it would, it would detach its booster rockets, right? And they, they were 
crucial, you know, because they got the shuttle into orbit. But then he said, you'd think it was really curious, right, says, if the astronauts put on their spacesuits and did a space swim or a spacewalk to try to get the rockets mm. back. That No, they propelled us. They, they were necessary and essential. But then when you're in orbit, you know, it wouldn't be proper to sort of go grab them, you know, but they are essential to getting into orbit, you know, and, and they're part of the whole plan. You know, they're not they're not faulty or or to be disregarded as insignificant, but but their their utility is different when right. you're in orbit. And and I think part I think Jesus is, is reacting to against being falsely accused and and what he's really driving at is not necessarily really the emptiness of the law but rather how it's been misused by those who are called to guard it. And, and kind of, you have to kind of read all 23 verses or at least study them. If you're going to preach on this, even if you don't read them all and you follow the, um, the guidelines of the lectionary and you see Jesus accusing um, the guardians of the law of twisting it for their own advantage by saying, you don't really need to take care of your parents because you can just take the money that you're supposed to use for mom and dad and give it to the church instead or, or not the church, but give it give it to God instead, um, and and then you're free of your obligation to take care of your parents. And, and he's he's kind of calling BS on that, um, saying you don't you don't necessarily get to be the arbiter uh, of the law. You haven't been faithful in that. So watch yourself before coming after me for not doing the cleansing rituals. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it's interesting. Paul Zoll in his book, The First Christian, which is phenomenal. I think it's a, sort of a popularized version of some stuff in his dissertation. And it's, it's a very, but I mean, it's very readable. It doesn't, it, you know, again, it's a, it's a popularizing updating of that stuff. And he says this about this passage. The fact that Christ is talking to Jews who are, who are by definition, the house of Israel, the elect of God, means that he believes the children of God are, are also at the same time sinners and therefore children of wrath. The assumption is that you can be a child of his and be a person overcome by compulsions that originate inside you. That is what Luther and the Reformers meant by the phrase Samuel Eustace et peccator. The Christian is saved and human, i.e. sinful and conflicted, simultaneously. Jesus' outlook on his hearers, those precious listeners for whom sin is still the flesh of their flesh, is, is Luther's exactly. There is a further implication to the word of Christ about outward influences. And he talks, he quotes, you know, 715 through 19, that there's nothing outside a man which goes, uh, nothing outside a man which by going in him can defile him. Jesus does not therefore pronounce all foods clean, as Mark wants to add in, in verse 19b, although that is a possible inference. What Jesus does do is pull the rug out from under the compulsion to project. You cannot have a corrected view of human problems. You cannot discern the origin of evil within the heart and spirit of the man and woman, and then turn around and blame somebody else. To do that would be unsatisfactory and untrue. A non-projecting philosophy of human sin makes you responsible f before God and allergic in theory to scapegoating. No one likes to hear this, at least not initially. Amen. That's a good word. Yeah, and... And it's interesting because the the Pharisees here do seem like perennial, or, or many times, at least in their battles with Jesus, seem like perennially projecting. Yes, uh, and 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 pointing out the speck of dust in somebody else's eye before cleaning out their own. Well, Scott, I've got a sermon title. Whether you're preaching on James or Mark, it's not that radical, but I think outside in or inside out would work for both. You got theme that theme showing up in both. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd use it for song of songs, it. though. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, Glenn, thanks for 
being with me and for even providing a sermon title to stimulate our listeners. There you go. Value added. Thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Glenn for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at MeaningfulWorship.Blogspot.Com. And thanks to you again for listening. Till next time, friends, fare thee well. 